This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball, and we are back and ready to talk about the Washington Nationals. Week one continues, opening day in the rearview mirror. We wanted to get a few games out of the way to have some meat on the bone today for you as we break down some of the early season specifics for the Washington Nationals. So real quick, through four games, they are one and three. Kind of recapping the season to date with some highs and some lows. Back in game one on opening day, the 7-2 loss to the Braves. couple of hits from K. Barrett Ruiz was good to see. I love that Robles got on base three times. Mason Thompson throwing a couple innings with three strikeouts was big. C.J. Abrams committing three errors, which nobody saw coming, was a real problem. And defensively, he has not looked overly confident. He has not looked overly competent to this point. I did like after the day off uh, that he got to uh, end the weekend series that uh, he was much more comfortable, it would appear, on Monday night. Made a couple of nice plays in the field, one charging uh, got a ball at a hop high based on how fast he, he broke and, and how quickly he broke into the infield and did all the, the little things right defensively. So I thought that was a good sign. But the three errors to begin the year for Abrams, who's still looking for his first hit of the season, not ideal, obviously, uh, as he is 0 for his first 10. Uh, Patrick Corbin was Patrick Corbin. I thought he pitched in some bad luck on opening day, but he needed 85 pitches to get nine outs. And you know, even in this new pitch clock era, that game dragged. Uh, Luis Garcia was 0 for 4 and was out on the first pitch multiple times. In game two on Saturday, the 7 1 loss to the Braves after the day off on Friday, we saw Kbert Ruiz hit a bomb down the line in right. I thought seeing that power was huge. We have not really seen that thump from him in terms of not home run count, which obviously you want to see grow this year, but the actual distance on that home run. He visited the seats up in. Upper deck right field, that's section 238-240. That's Bryce Harper, Adam Dunn, Kyle Schwarber territory. So that was, I thought, a big, big sign. Really liked what I saw on Saturday from Hobie Harris as well. Pitched a scoreless inning with a strikeout. 
Robles was on base a couple times again, which I thought was good. Uh, in that second game, Josiah Gray, after his incredible spring where he had the sub-1 ERA, you know, back-to-back home runs to start the contest, ended up giving up five Ernies and three homers in the outing over five innings. It wasn't terrible. Uh, it also wasn't good, and it certainly was not what we were hoping for coming off of all the momentum of the spring. We've had him on the podcast. I talked to him on opening day. You know, I, I thought he should have started on opening day over Patrick Corbin. I still feel that way. He was pitching on a day, it should be noted, with 20-mile-an-hour wins as a flyball pitcher who led the big leagues and home runs allowed last year. So, you know, that was working against him to some extent. Having said that, I thought he missed in the middle of the plate pretty frequently and too often, and he'll have to bounce back as he moves forward. Uh, in game three of the season, the uh, final game with the Braves on Sunday, I was at the ballpark to see Mackenzie Gore, who was outstanding. Five and a third innings of one run, six strikeout ball for him. A 4-1 to win for the Nats as they got off the schneid and they won their first game of the year to improve to 1-2. and two. The first four base runners in that game scored, and then they didn't score again. In fact, the Nats had three hits after the first inning, but the top of the order, one through four, got aboard. I think it was hit, hit, walk, hit as part of three hits and three walks in the inning off of uh, Schuster, who was debuting for the Braves, their top pitching prospect, an ACC arm from Wake Forest who's been pretty good in the minor leagues. I saw him in the Futures game last year, and I have high expectations for him in the Atlanta rotation this year. But he settled in, but he was really, really bad in the first inning. So the Nats scored those four runs, and Gore was able to go out, pitch with the lead, pitch confidently, six strikeouts and five and a third. We'll talk more about him and his ceiling, but I thought he was really, really good. The bullpen behind him was outstanding, three and two-third innings of one-hit ball. Uh, it was the first time we saw Ruiz go hitless, uh, so arrow down on that. And uh, three hits, no runs after the first inning offensively. There just wasn't a whole lot going on. I guess if there was anything negative to point out from Gore, who I thought overall was outstanding, and you'll take that start from him in his debut after a couple hundred days without pitching in a big league game, uh, he did walk four, and you're going to want to lower that number, and I think he will as we move forward. And then the fourth game of the season, just uh, last evening, as I tape here on Tuesday morning, I've been at three of these four games. I was at Nationals Park yesterday, in fact, I was one of the 10,000-plus, the second-smallest attendance in Nats history to be at their opener with the Rays in, in the fourth game of the season, a 6-2 to loss. Uh, they get a home run from Jamer Candelario, his first of the season, two more hits from Dom Smith, who's now a team-best, 357 with his batting average. I, I thought Mason Thompson showed really well again. Some loud contact, high exit velocities off of him in that game, uh, but he went three innings and allowed just one hit. Uh, that was the good, the bad from Monday night against the Rays would have been you know, another 0 for Abrams. He and Ruiz combined to go 0 for 6. Garcia was 0 for 4 in the leadoff spot. And uh, Trevor Williams, who I thought was okay, uh, yielded six hits and four runs in five innings. You know, If the plan was for him to start fast and to have an impressive outing where he turns some heads and goes out and hangs a bunch of zeros, that certainly wasn't the case. You know, the two home runs he gave up were massive home runs, by the way. Like, they stayed hit. Just bombs, complete missiles uh, from the Rays, who are good. They're 4-0. That, that's what it looks like, man. It's very, very different teams that you're watching right now. Tampa Bay, not a lot of power, by the way. They are an analytical juggernaut. They're an on-base team. They got a lot of guys who um, don't even hit for average but draw walks and work counts. You know, They do certainly have some average hitters. Certainly early this season, a lot of their guys are off to fast starts. But... You know, they probably won't have but maybe 130 homer bat in their lineup if uh, Brandon Lau, the former Maryland Turpin, accomplishes the trick. Otherwise, they'll have a couple guys hitting 20-plus. 
You know, it's it's not like the Phillies or some of these teams that you know assemble themselves with a bunch of mashers and play the long ball game. Uh, that's not the way the Rays do it. But I figured we could just kind of go through it with that out of the way. The recap of these first four games is the Nats are one and three. Some of what we have seen so far. So let's start at the plate offensively. Uh, Joey Manessis is three for seventeen. He is one of just six Nationals who's driven in a run to this point. Uh, Manessis still looking for his first extra base hit of the season. Seven strikeouts, slow start to the season for him. Lane Thomas, five for his first 16 at the plate, hitting over 300. Had a pretty huge game in the win, I believe it was, on Sunday uh, when he was at the top of the order and a big part of the the four-run first inning. So a lot of those numbers with the small samples came kind of in one performance. Uh, More notably, how are the kids faring, right? Luis Garcia, one for his first 14 at the plate. C.J. Abrams, 0 for 10. And K. Barrett Ruiz, kind of the bright spot among the youngsters, is 4 for 13, hitting over 300 to start the year. He is one of two Nationals, along with Candelario, with a home run. And so far, one of the things I like about Ruiz and the team in general is, you know, he has been able to look at pitches and, and get deep into counts. He's got two walks and three strikeouts. Now, you keep the walk and the strikeout total similar, that's a really big deal. And everyone's talking about C.J. Abrams being 0 for 10. I actually like the approach. You know, he had a nine-pitch walk that he worked uh, in the Rays series opener on Monday night to get runners on the corners and extend an inning. He's only struck out once in 10 at-bats. So you're talking about now one walk and one strikeout. The ball's been in play. And we can get into the exit velocities from C.J. Abrams, but, I mean, he stung a ball for, I believe it was the final out of that game on Monday night against Tampa Bay into the left center gap that was well over 90 miles per hour in terms of exit velocity. If you look at the comparison uh, so far for him, pretty similar to last year, about 86.5 miles per hour off the bat last season, 87.4 so far this season. Still looking for a barrel. Uh, last year, over a thousand pitches, just five barrels for him. Barrel percentage was over two percent, barely. Uh, so you want that to go up. And, and this year, as we go on, uh, he's got nine batted balls compared to the 238 last year. Um, so we're waiting to, to see him find that barrel. But look, I, I'm not overly concerned about C.J. Abrams. Uh, He used the entire field when he was hitting last season. You look at the spray chart, uh, he's certainly going to pull the ball for his power, Uh, although I will say he had one of his couple of home runs last year almost down the left field line. Uh, But I think the approach has been better than the results to this point. And while offense is more a curiosity for me about Abrams long-term than his glove and his defense, you know, the, the three errors in the first game, disastrous and really problematic. But this is what this whole season's about. And what I'm kind of excited about is seeing how he responds to that. Like, how do you recover? How do you bounce back? What is your mindset and your mentality when you get back on the field? And I thought game two, there was a bang-bang play to the backhand side that probably could have gone for an error against him. I went for a hit. And it was kind of the play that in the big leagues needs to be made. And Instead of a fourth error on the season, he's still got three. But since then, I think he's been really comfortable. You know, one of the things that all the, the Nats folks I talk to in the front office, player development side, all the way up to the, you know, Mike Rizzo's uh, department is they think that C.J. Abrams is the kind of guy who has the confidence, the belief in himself that he's not going to allow 
failures to, to hinder him, and and he's not going to get down on himself like a young guy normally would. And I think that's an important thing to remember. I mean, C.J. Abrams, as we talk today, is the eighth youngest player in Major League Baseball. And people forget that because we've now seen him in the big leagues, it feels like, forever. But Luis Garcia, for God's sake, is the 12th youngest player in baseball. I mean, two of the, the Nationals are among the 12 youngest in the sport. Abrams played in 90 games in 2022, was in the show at the start of last season. And so I think because you know he's been knocking on the door of, of the major league since the beginning of last year, maybe you know we don't think about how youthful he actually is. But obviously tracking him, monitoring you know, how he continues to progress is going to be significant very, very early. So it's probably not worth diving too deep into any of the analytics, but... 33rd percentile, max exit velo so far, 18th and outs above average percentile um, at this point defensively. Obviously, uh, that is an area where he's going to improve as the year goes on, and that gets skewed by just the one game. So not something I would worry a whole lot about. Uh, Corey Dickerson is already on the shelf. They've recalled Stone Garrett from AAA. That might mean some more opportunities early on for Alex Call, who's played in just a couple of games and is O for his First four, although he has driven in a couple runs. He's another guy, by the way, with two walks and three strikeouts. Like Cole, Abrams, Ruiz, Dominic Smith, same number of walks as strikeouts, two to two. Uh, all very, very similar walk to K totals, which uh, is where you want to be. It's a good sign. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. On the pitching side of things so far, a little State of the Union on the Nationals here on Boston Loose Baseball after four games. Uh, let's go through the rotation first. So you've had four starters take their turn. We'll see Chad Cool for the first time this evening against the Rays to kind of round out the rotation. And uh, then we'll turn things back over to Corbin against Shane McClanahan for a matinee on Wednesday at Nats Park. On a getaway day. Corbin's first start, as I mentioned, I thought was he pitched in some bad luck at a couple of bleeders, infield hits that ended up costing him base runners. You know, there were the miscues behind him defensively as well by Abrams that could have helped him get a double play ball at one point. Probably deserved better than seven hits, certainly better than four runs. That's why only two of them were earned in his three innings, but he did walk three to go along with three strikeouts and into the average against coming out of that start, even if a tick misleading, um, you know, 41% of the time, the Braves put the ball in play for a base hit. So uh, Corbin is kind of picking up where he's left off after three straight years as statistically the worst pitcher in baseball. 
Um, Trevor Williams, we'll, we'll go to the next veteran before we go to the more important kids in a second. You know, look, Williams is going to be in this rotation, I think, longer than maybe a lot of people want this year if he's healthy because I, I think he has the ability to eat some innings. I think this is an upgrade from, like, what they've had in guys like uh, Corey Abbott, as an example, or, um, you know, Paolo Espino is another guy who's kind of one of those AAA starters right now as a back of the rotation uh Robert for them the last couple of years, right? I mean, Williams, who went five innings, gave up the four runs, three earned, a couple of homers in his first start. We had him on the pod. He, he talked about being more comfortable in the rotation. I think if he could go out as the weather gets warmer, his pitch count is able to, to elevate to 100, 105 a start, you know, he should be able to give you 15 to 18 outs almost every time he throws, and that's going to be invaluable. Just like we talk about with Patrick Corbin, with young starters, as you're trying to keep the training wheels in some ways on Gray and on Gore, or when they call up, hopefully, some of their other prospect-type arms from the minor leagues, right? Whether that's Jake Irvin, who's in the AAA rotation right now for the Nationals, or maybe you know an Evan Lee or a Jackson Tatro or somebody like that uh, is able to, to start making starts. They're not going to just let those guys go six and seven innings. So you're going to need veterans, even when they're getting kicked around in Corbin and Williams' case occasionally, and maybe in their cases frequently, to continue to to be on the mound throwing pitches, eating those innings, right? Someone's got to do it. Um, so those two guys first time through, kind of about what you would have anticipated, I would guess. Uh, now to the young guys. So Gray's start was disappointing. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he didn't throw the cutter as much as I thought he was going to. It was a huge talk of camp, and then it was kind of the, the same stuff, at least early in his start, that we'd seen last year. So I would uh, be interested to see him incorporate that a little bit more. Five innings, seven hits, five runs, all earned for him as he gave up the three homers, two of them, as I mentioned, to the first two batters of the game. I think in, in Josiah Gray's case, look, if you could go back and kind of take away the first couple batters, you'd feel a lot different about that start. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, you, you could say that, I guess, about the two worst sequences of everybody's start, and, and everyone would be a good pitcher um, because he got barreled up, right? Exit velocity, max of 111 in that game. Um, but, you know, look, it's one start. Again, it was a super windy day. I'm not going to sit here and panic. I will tell you, this is a critical season, though. This is kind of a got-to-have-it year in terms of him making a leap. He is 25. He will be in the big leagues, making a start every five days for the second season. One of the things that I think a lot of people liked about Josiah Gray as a prospect out of LeMoyne was when he was drafted in the competitive rounds, uh, competitive balance B round, what was, look, this is a guy with the 72nd pick who was new to pitching. He's athletic. He's going to figure some things out. He's going to be a bit of a late bloomer, right? Well, we're getting to a point now at 25 where you, you want to see it this season. If he's got it, let's start putting it together. Uh, I think the cutter's going to help him a lot, and his spring ERA of .7 was a big deal. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you that's the end-all, be-all, or he's he's now an ace or anything like that. that that's not the point. But you, you saw that he's got what it takes to get some good big league hitters out. Uh, I did see where he was talking to the media a few days ago about just how different the at-bats are in the regular season right away from spring training and how competitive they are and how much guys are um, working differently and, and more 
maybe seriously and diligently than, than at times you're going to get in spring training uh, when people are putting their work in or, or tinkering or figuring some things out, whether it's with the clock or otherwise, which I want to talk about the clock in just a little bit here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. But one start down for Gray. Can't wait to see him back on the hill, see what he can figure out going into uh, start number two. I just think in general, you know, we're going to have to – I'm not going to ask for patience. I, I think asking for patience from people who have been patient and you guys have is borderline condescending. But I think we just have to properly quantify and understand this sport's a marathon. This is a six-month journey here. Let, let's not look at a snapshot after a start or two or three and think that we've got everything figured out, right? This is a sample size game. We're talking about hundreds of at-bats and, and eight, hundreds of innings and Dozens of starts that we're going to use to to get some intel this season. Uh, Gray, as an example, pitches his next start at Coors Field. Again, you've got this guy who gives up more homers than anyone in baseball last year, and his first start at home is with 20-mile-an-hour winds blowing out, and his second start is at Coors Field. So if he gives up another two or three homers in a super hitter-friendly ballpark, I mean, people are going to be panicking and going crazy, and ideally that's not the case, and he goes out and he shoves and he throws six scoreless, but I just think context matters a little bit as well. Now, what I will say about Gray is, and and I've always kind of thought this, I mean, there was maybe some hope or still is perhaps that he can connect all the dots and become like a front-of-the-rotation starter. I've always thought realistically, just from a stuff standpoint, a profile standpoint, he's more of a... Everything clicks, he's a two, but he's probably your third starter when you're a championship-level team. Cade Cavalli, who was a first-round pick, unlike Gray, who was a you know top-of-a-system prospect, right? He probably better profiles as a front-rotation guy. I would say in this rotation, maybe your two, if it's homegrown ultimately. Behind Gore, who I think has the best chance to be an ace. Now, he was a number three overall pick. These other two guys weren't taken in the top five. He was the, the the vaunted, revered prospect in the Padres system for years, right? These other guys have not been at that same level necessarily in terms of you know, where they were regarded in a really good system. Cavalli was the Nationals' best prospect before their system added some real high-end talent, and all of a sudden he slides down into that you know three, four, five, six range, depending on where you're looking. And that's not to knock Cade Cavalli. I'm a big Cavalli believer I was heartbroken for him and for you guys when when he got hurt, and and I still think very, very highly of him coming back from Tommy John surgery. My point isn't to diminish him as a prospect as much as it is to say, like we're going to find out if he can throw strikes uh, and and pelt the zone and be pitch efficient and be a guy who can go give you seven, eight innings at times. You know, that that dominant seven, eight inning outing where you're punching out 10 or 11 that aces can turn in. We're going to find that out. Uh, but in the meantime, I think what's more likely is it's a lot of six-inning, nine-strikeout outings with 103 pitches, and 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 he is more maybe a, a number two-type starter. Uh, Gore, to me, again, if, if I had to just go to the betting window and put money down on one of these guys becoming an ace, I think has the, the mix of stuff, and you saw it in his first start, fastball, curveball, slider, through one changeup as well, mostly those first three pitches, though. And also, I, I think he's got makeup. Not to say the others don't. I think Josiah Gray is brilliant, like super smart and cerebral and intuitive. I think Cavalli is a really sharp guy with some pitchability, but also a bulldog who's getting after you. 
But Gore is kind of the total package, right? At 24 years old, we saw him punch out 10 in a game last year. Big league level through two months, he was one of the best pitchers in the sport. Like, we just haven't seen that performance from the other guys. They weren't taken in the top five. And there's a lot of reasons to believe Gore has that big ceiling. And uh, so far, so good for him through that one start. Uh, in the bullpen, look, I mentioned Mason Thompson. I was surprised they stretched him out for three innings uh, in his second outing to, to kick off the Rays series. But now he's pitched five innings, and he's allowed just two hits and one earned run. Uh, good start to his season. Hunter Harvey has been throwing gas. He touched 100 miles an hour on the Nationals Park gun. He's mostly going to sit 97. He's pitched two times, an inning and two-thirds, only allowed a hit. Oddly, five outs, none of them via the strikeout, which with his stuff early on is a little bit surprising. Uh, do I think this bullpen's great? I don't. Uh, I'm not convinced they have a closer. I think Kyle Finnegan's a really good arm. Ideally, on a first-division team, he's probably you know a seventh, eighth-inning type guy. He's going to get a chance to close for the Nationals. I'll be curious to see if Hunter Harvey could grow into a role like that, you know, with his upside as a former first-round pick who could throw 100 miles an hour. But between Finnegan and Harvey, Thompson, Carl Edwards Jr., who we saw make his debut this week at Nats Park and throw a clean inning with one walk, um, they've certainly got enough arms to, to be competent. They throw very hard. I think you're mostly going to see Rule 5 pick Thaddeus Ward who has pitched now once and in two innings gave up a couple hits and a couple runs earned. I think you're going to see him when they have a decent lead and when they're uh, behind by a bunch. Like It's going to be the B bullpen kind of uh, role for him as they indoctrinate him to the big leagues and try to keep him lower leverage. In fact, we should play a little later in this uh, Boston Loose Baseball. Darius can attach uh, Jim Hickey on opening day kind of talking about some of the bullpen roles as he sees them. I think he blanked on Thad Ward's name, but he was talking about Thaddeus Ward and, and how they might use him as the uh, season goes on. So I'm, I'm not you know, blown away by anybody in the bullpen necessarily, but I do think from a stuff perspective that there's just a better collection of velo and some swing and miss stuff than we've seen at times in the past. 